Amen. Have a seat. Good morning, church. I, man, look around. I am so thankful for you guys. I am so thankful. Like, look, old friends. Uh, there's a lot of old friends in the room that we've known for a long time. There's new friends in the room. Um, it's a great day. Like, what day is it? Oh, yeah, it's Easter. So here you go. For you old church people, he has risen. He has risen indeed. So happy Easter. I'm so glad everybody's here. If you've got your Bibles, go ahead and open up to Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1. Um, you know, typically, I think in a lot of churches, when it comes to Easter Sunday, they normally will jump out of whatever series they're in, and they'll do an Easter sermon, or they'll jump, uh, jump out of the series that they're in, and they'll do an, an Easter series. And that's a really good thing. That's, that's a great thing. But if you've been with Freshwater, you may not remember this, but I do the preaching, so I remember, right? Um, that the last four years, we not really plan it this way, but for four years in a row, we've not jumped out of the series that we're in. Every time, it's just a line that whatever passage we're in aligned with Easter really, really well. And so we didn't need to go anywhere else except for just stay where we are. And as I said, the last three years, I think um, that's probably just a coincidence, right? That's just, just, just a Anyway, um, so at first, I'll tell you, at first we're going to read this. This might not seem like a typical Easter passage, but stay with me. Because I think it's just what our church needs at, at just the right time. Um, it's coming just when we need it. So um, although it might not seem like a resurrection Easter passage on the surface, our text only not, not, not only points to what the gospel has done for us, but the reality of what the gospel is doing in us and through all of us together. And it's because it's not just our own lives that the gospel has redeemed and changed, and, but it's the community, right? How God has changed our community together, and then what he's called us to do in the community around us for the sake of his name, for the sake of his gospel, by the power of his res- resurrection. And so today, again, it's going gonna, it's gonna to seem subtle at first, but the passage today is subtly pointing towards the resurrection of Jesus Christ and all the power that comes with the, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and it's going to set us up for the rest of this letter through Philippians. And so if you haven't been with us, what we've been doing is walking through the letter of Philippians, and we're deeming this, this series divine humility, because if you want to know what the heart of Philippians is, just read a Philippian, Philippians chapter 2, 1 through 11, and you're really going to understand the heart of this thing. The gospel is found in Philippians 2, 1 through 11, where in Jesus' divine humility, he gave himself up to redeem all of us. That's what Easter is really all about, right? What Christ did on our behalf so that we might be redeemed. And so um, all of this is kind of pointing towards where we're going to be going in Philippians. And so let's read it. Let's just start off by reading it together. It's only three verses today. And hopefully you'll start to see what I mean by it's not a typical Easter resurrection passage, but we're going to get there pretty quickly. So in Philippians chapter 1, we're going to read verses 3 through 5. It says this, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from this day until now, from this day until now. So for those of you that were here last week, you'll probably remember this is the passage that we did last week. But last week we're in this passage. What was the, what was the, really the one thing that we focused on? What was the one word we focused on? Anybody remember? Joy. Joy. Good. I'm so glad somebody said joy. I felt really bad if nobody knew what we talked about. So last week we were just focused in on the word joy. Joy plays a huge part in the book of Philippians. A lot of people think the theme of Philippians is joy. And so we spent some time with the word joy last week. And, and I said at the beginning of that sermon last week, I think for a lot of people it's going to be a paradigm shift on how we see joy. 
Because in the end, here's, here's what joy really is. Joy is, is happiness. Joy is gladness that God in him wants us to find joy. God wants us to be happy in who he is and what he has done and in the glory of his name and how he's transforming our lives to be more like his son. He wants us, this word, happy. And for Christians, that word happiness sometimes is like, ooh, don't say happy. I can handle joy. Don't say happy. But biblically, those words are exactly the same thing. In the Greek, they're the same thing. In the Hebrew, they're the same thing. In English, joy and happiness mean the same thing. Yet somehow in Christianity, we've separated those two words out. Joy is good and happiness is bad. No. Biblically, they're exactly the same. And so we we really dove into how God wants us to pursue happiness. Listen, not in the world, world, not in our desires, not in our sin, not in ourselves, but in him, because he is a God of pleasures forevermore. That's what he's promising us. So he wants us to find our fullness of joy in him. If you missed the sermon last week, unfortunately, something went wrong with the recording. So it's not online, but um, last week, four or five people requested that I send them my manuscript. I have a manuscript of the, this, the sermon. So if you'd like a manuscript of it so you could read it, just let me, me know or let my wife know, and we'd be happy to send that to you. Because I think it's, I don't normally say that my sermons are, impo- are important, but that sermon in particular is important to understand because joy is going to be used 14 more times in this book. It's only four chapters. 14 more times it's going to talk about the joy that Paul has in these people and the joy that God wants us to have in him. So if you didn't get to hear it, um, let us know. We'll send you a copy of the sermon. All right. But this week is not focusing on just one word. We're going to take the passage as a whole. So with all, with all that, I want us to read it one more time. So look at Philippians chapter 1, verse 3 through 5, one more time. Pay attention to the words. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from this day until now. From this day until now. Now I want you to remember, if you haven't been with us or if you have, I want you to remember that that Paul started this church. He's writing a letter to this church, a church that he truly loves from prison. Right, Paul's in prison in Rome, and he starts the main part of this letter by telling them how thankful he is to them in God. That whenever he thinks of them, he's not saying, I think of you every moment of every day, right? That wouldn't be realistic. Paul started a lot of churches. He loves a lot of people. There's a lot going on. But he said, every time I think of you, always, my attitude towards you in every prayer, always in every prayer is thankfulness, is thankfulness. Because you're going to see as this letter continues just how much Paul loves them. Right? It talks about how he has a deep affection for them in Christ, how he holds them in his heart. He calls them his brothers and sisters in Christ nine different times. These people aren't just his friends. This is a beautiful reflection of what the church is supposed to be. A church is supposed to be a family. We talk about that a lot, right? And we're striving towards that. But in today's society where it's go, go, go all the time, we're all so busy, it's hard to actually feel like this is a real family. But listen, Paul sees these as his brothers and sisters, his family in Christ, And so when Paul thinks of this family, when he prays for this family, every time his prayers come to them on the sake of this family, his prayers are with thankfulness to God for them. I can't tell you how important it is for us to see see this and follow this example. To see this and follow this example. Because Paul's thankfulness isn't driven because everything is perfect in this church. His thankfulness isn't because they're doing everything just how they're supposed to be doing and everything that's happening to them is just, is just so perfect all the time, right? 
Churches are messy. And this church, this is a pretty healthy church, but it's still messy. As we're going to see as we go through this letter, like these people are suffering. They're going through things that are causing them to suffer. They're being persecuted. There's false teachers that have come in and that are pulling people away from the church. They're believing lies. Right? There's people that are leaving the church and going back to their old sinful ways, right? and probably in the process disparaging Paul and disparaging the church as they're leaving the church to go back to their old ways. And there's people in the church, seemingly leaders, that are causing division in the church. And the division is severe enough where Paul calls them out in this letter by name. By name, he calls them out for the division and says, help these two people reconcile to heal this division in the church. And you're going to see a lot of the talk in this letter is about unity in the church. This church, like, listen, this is not even an unhealthy church. This is, a, this is a healthy church in relation to the rest of the churches in the New Testament. This is just what happens when a bunch of sinners get thrown together. Amen? When a bunch of sinful people get thrown together, sinners that are now saints, right, but sinful people that get thrown together, things are going to happen. God uses that to grow us to be more like Christ. Because if everything was perfect all the time, how would we learn about grace? How will we learn about mercy? How will we really learn about forgiveness if everybody did exactly what we wanted all the time? As we talked about a couple weeks ago, grace is us not giving people what they deserve. What, we're giving them something they have. It's really giving them something that they haven't earned. And mercy is not giving them something they do deserve, like grace and mercy. And so this, this church isn't perfect. And that's not why Paul is thankful for them. So Paul is, this is not Paul being thankful because everything's going perfect. And on top of that, I want us to remember and think about the fact that Paul is writing this from prison. Not just some esoteric up there, we know that Paul went to prison away. Paul is literally in prison writing these letters. How many Christians do you think might give in to bitterness or resentment or anger or hopelessness or even doubt if they were put into prison for doing exactly what God had called them to do. We all want to think that we're going to be like Paul. We're going to be the hero, like we're going to be kind of heroic in our faith. We get put in prison for Jesus, and we're just going to, we're going to be the one that's going to stand firm no matter what, right? We all want to think we're that person. But listen, sometimes we question God when we simply don't feel the way that we want to feel. Is that not Right? Sometimes we go through periods in our lives when we just don't feel the way that we want to feel and we question God. We, we, we go through times in our life when we don't get the things that we desire or something that we really love, that we feel like we really love, gets taken away from us one way or another, and we question God. Yet Paul is unjustly imprisoned for his faith, for doing exactly what God has called him to do, exactly what God told him to do. And what's his heart position while in prison? Thankfulness thankfulness. And so before we move on in our text, I just wanted to ask you guys something. I want you to actually think about it, right? Don't just hear me say it. I want you to think about it in your own life. Don't think about somebody else right now, right? Think about you. Think about you. How do you think it would transform your mind and your heart if you always started with thankfulness? Is that too broad? Is that, is that, is that too much? Let's narrow it down to what Paul's talking about here. Um, let's start with this. What if you change your approach to just this church family? That, that you not only consistently prayed for this church family. When I say church family, I mean the people sitting around you right now. This, this church is not an entity, right? It's us. 
It's the people sitting around you right now. That's what the church is. Like we think of the church as like this corporate thing. It's not. It's us. It's people. So what if we started thinking of our brothers and sisters in Christ? We actually started thinking and praying for them. And, they, and we always, listen, always, always started those prayers with thankfulness to God for all the people that are here and all the people that we wish were here. As Paul says, always in every prayer of mine, thankfulness. Of course, in our prayers, I think first and foremost, we need to be thanking God for showering us with his grace and mercy through his death and his resurrection, but also thanking God for the work that he's done in this church family amongst us to, trans- to, to transform people's hearts and minds into the image of Christ. Is that what you think about it very often? Do you think about where people were and, and how God's transformed people's hearts and minds and like, conformed them into the image of Christ? Not, not perfectly, but all the work that God has done in people's lives right here. Because remember, I'm going to say it one more time. The Philippian church was a pretty healthy church, but they still had problems. They still, they, they, they still had things that weren't awesome that they had to deal with. And is fresh water not the same? Listen, as pumped as I am about the direction that God is taking us and all these new partners that want to partner with us and how this momentum is moving in the right way, we are far from perfect as a church, and everybody here knows it. All right, we all know it. We all know that we're not perfect. But what if when we thought of this family, this church, we thought of the people that God gave us to do life with, and our minds didn't immediately go to what is wrong? which I think is kind of, we call that human nature. I'm going to call that sinful nature. Like it's our old fleshly sinful nature that's immediately start looking at the things that are wrong first and foremost. But what if he followed Paul's example and, and we intentionally, always, with intention, always started with thankfulness first. We felt our minds and hearts going to all the things that are wrong, all the things that need to be changed, all the ways we wish people were different, all the things that people have said. We immediately like, no, man, I'm going to start with thanking God for these people, thanking God for these church, and thanking God that I'm here. What do you think would happen if every day, let's just say, let's be realistic, most days you started with thanking God for who he is, first and foremost, for what he has done in your life, what he continues to do in your life, but also for this family and the people that surround you in this church. How do you think your mindset and your heart would change over time? Can you imagine? Now, listen, I want to say this too. Does this mean that we ignore problems? Of, of course it doesn't. That, doesn't. that doesn't at all mean that we ignore problems. Paul is going to address problems very boldly and very directly as he goes through this book, right? I just said that he's, he actually names people who are causing division, and, but his thing is like, help them reconcile. Help this thing to heal, right? Paul's going to boldly address those things, and sometimes we need to boldly address those things too. But even in that, if we were consistently operating in thankfulness for what God has done and is doing and thanking God for the people in this church, how do you think even those conversations when we have to address problems, how much differently do you think they would go? If our heart position was, was an outpouring of thankfulness that led to want, wanting to reconcile things, not wanting to tell people all about themselves or how they were wrong, but to reconcile, to heal, to lift up. Think about it. How do you think it would change your heart and your mind over time? That's just one thing. Just one thing Paul is operating in. He's operating in thankfulness, Right? But in all of his prayers, what else does he feel towards the church? Joy. 
Right, again, like this is why last sermon was so important. Not just like this, this deep-seated fulfillment in Christ that, that God is never gonna let me go, which is absolutely true and a- absolutely we need to hold on to, but like Paul feels happiness towards this church. He is glad for them. He finds joy in them. He rejoices over this. This book is filled with Paul's joy for this church. As I said before, this word joy is used 14 times in four chapters. Paul is not only thankful, but he is rejoicing as he sits in prison. And his thoughts of them make him, while he's in prison, happy. Crazy, right? As he prays for them. Once again, I'm not going to spend a lot of time because we just did, but I want you to th- really think about that. I want you to picture it. How would it transform your heart and your mind if you intentionally started your days with not only thankfulness, but also thinking about ways that this church, again, and when I say this church, I mean the people the people sitting around you and the people that aren't here that we wish were here right now, how they made you happy, how they brought you gladness and joy. Man, I was going to go on a tangent, and I, thought, I was afraid I was going to let, leave, leave people out, but just starting naming all the ways that people in this room bring me and my wife and my family happiness and joy and gladness because of just who they are. But then I was going to leave somebody out, and then it was going to lead to not joy, right? I didn't want to do that, right? But there's so many people in this, in this room that have literally made my wife feel full of joy, full of happiness because of the way that they love us, the way that they love our kids, the way we get to see them serve the church, the way we see them love other people in our church, the way we've seen them go from where they are, where, where they were when they first got here to being transformed in Christ, to not arriving to some place, but growing into the image of Christ and doing things for God now that they thought they could never do. Listen, when I think of those things, man, I am happy about it. Is there anybody in this, other people in this room that you can think, like, they just bring you joy, and they're not perfect, and they've messed up, but they bring you joy because of who they are, because of what they've done, because of how they serve, because of, of how they give, because, and there's, there's a lot of joy in this room. There's a lot of people that, if we just focused on it, man, they just make us happy if we think about them in the right way. And as I said before, if, we're, if most of us are honest with ourselves, we don't naturally turn to thankfulness and joy. We think about all the rude comments. And we think about the things that aren't right. And we think about the things that we would change. And we think about the bad decisions that other people make. And those, those are what roll around in our head. Is that not true? I had this conversation the other day. You can have 19 people say something really nice to you. And one person say something nasty to you. And three days from then, what are you going to remember? It's okay. What are you going to remember? Right. Which nature do you think that comes from, the flesh or the spirit? This is not condemnation that I'm heaping on you. Like, our Savior's so good, he wants to set you free from that. Think about the slavery that comes in your mind from focusing on all of those negative things when 19 people will treat you kindly and one person will destroy you. That's slavery. That's, that's robbing you of joy. That's robbing you of peace. That's robbing you of thankfulness. All the things that God wants for you to operate, those, that robs you. And so this is not just something. Today when I'm talking about thankfulness and joy, I'm not just talking about a feeling. It is a feeling. I'm not just talking about something that we have always. We do have these things. I'm talking about this is something that we pursue. The Bible is telling us to pursue these things. As I said last week, the Bible is telling us, commanding us to, to rejoice in the Lord. It's commanding us to be happy in God. Why do you think that is? 
It's because God knows where our mind's going to go if he doesn't give us commands. He's commanding us to remember his goodness, to remember who he is, to remember all the things that he has done, and to be happy over things, to rejoice over those things, to transform our minds, to renew our minds, to have the mind of Christ, to have the mind of the Spirit, so that we might find freedom in him. So many of us look at holiness as like slavery, like, well, I have to give up all of these things to be holy. No, holiness is freedom. Holiness is setting you free to who Christ wants you to be and and who Christ wants you to be. He wants you to be joyful. He wants you to have happiness in him. He wants you to understand his goodness and be, just rejoice always in those things. That's what holiness is actually about. I think I use this example in life group. I use it from the front. I'm sorry, but I saw this from Tim Keller. It's like, we all want freedom. We don't want God to tell us what to do. We're like, and, and when you think that way, you're like a fish who's swimming by the land and says, I wish I could be on land. Wish I had the freedom to go to land. Why am I stuck in the sea all the time? And then jumps out on the land. Well, what happens when the fish jumps out on the land? It dies because it's not built for the land. That, is that freedom? He got to be on the land. He got to do exactly what he wanted. But was that freedom? No, it was death. We, we view freedom in the wrong way. Listen, God designed the world in a particular way, and if we operate in that way, there is fullness, there is wholeness. Listen, there is suffering and there is pain, but even that suffering and pain, there is hope and there is joy and there is freedom from all of these things. This is what, this is what really all of this is pointing to. What if we started our days, I mean, we're just talking about the church, but I'm talking about our lives with thankfulness and rejoicing and thinking about the things that make us happy in the Lord, in this family, in this church. How do you think that might change you? You are to actively pursue this. By the power of the Holy Spirit, you are to pursue these things. Be transformed by the renewal of your mind, Romans 12, 1 and 2, renewal of your mind, so that you might walk in the fruit of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, love, joy, patience, peace, all of those things, so that you might operate in those things and find what God is promising you. And find what God is promising you. You are commanded to rejoice. You are commanded to pursue these things because God loves you and because he is worthy because he is worthy of that. So, Paul starts this whole thing off, right? This is really where the letter really starts in these verses. And all of his prayers, every time he thinks of them, all of his prayers are in thankfulness and joy. And there's lots of reasons we're going to see through Philippians that Paul is thankful and joyful for them. But he tells us particularly here why he has so much thankfulness and joy towards them. And what does he say? because of their partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. The thankfulness and joy is driven, he says, because of their partnership in the gospel from this day till now. So to get the fullness of this phrase, partnership in the gospel, we need to make sure that we're all on the same page about what these two words mean, right? Particularly on, on Easter, we need to make sure we're on the same page of what the gospel means. And I think most of those, those of you that have been coming to Freshwater for quite a while will, will have a pretty clear picture of what the gospel is. But I just want to make sure before we move on, particularly on Easter, is there a more important day to make sure we understand what the gospel is other than Easter, right? So let's make sure we get the gospel right at least before we move on. So what's the gospel? Well, here's a simple answer. The gospel is Jesus Christ. He is the good news. The gospel is Jesus Christ, but to understand who Jesus Christ is, we need to understand what he did to be the good news for us. And so here's just a simple version of the gospel. We can talk about the gospel from Genesis to Revelation, the son that was promised and fulfilled with the consummation of all things in Jesus Christ in Revelation. That's the, that's the really big picture of the gospel. But here, here's just the, the, the most simple version of the gospel. The gospel is the good news that Jesus lived the, 
perfect life that we should have lived, right? In perfect obedience to the Father. And, and then he died as our perfect sacrifice on the cross to pay for our sins once and for all. You believe in Christ, your sins are paid for. And then three days later, he rose from the grave in triumph and glory to show that sin and death had no power over him. So now that if we're in him, if we believe in him for our salvation, the condemnation of sin and the fear of death no longer has any power over us. We have been set free from those things. For in our resurrected king, who is now seated at the right hand of the Father, we have salvation and joy and blessing forevermore. Amen. That's the gospel. That's the truth. That's what we celebrate on Easter. So if this is new to you, if the gospel is new to you, listen. We all have shame in our past. We've all done the wrong thing. We've all messed it up. God doesn't come to save people who are getting it all together. He comes and he sees you where you are in the mess and says, I love you. I want you. Come and believe in me and I will wash it all away. All of it. You come to me and I'll make you new. I'll make you new. As Romans 6 says, we died when we believe. We died with Christ which means our sinful past died with him and we are raised with him as something new, the resurrected people of God. No longer a sinner, but a resurrected saint, born again as new covenant people and children and members of the household of God. That's what Jesus Christ has done for us. Jesus has set us free, given us an inheritance and promised us joy and pleasure and glory with him forevermore. What a joy it is to serve such a merciful and gracious God. That's the gospel. And that's why the resurrection matters so much. It's Easter, right? This is the day we celebrate the resurrection. You want to know why the resurrection matters so much? It's proof that what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross to atone for all of our sins really was enough. That it really was fully accepted and approved by his Father, God. So now what we do? What do we do now? Now that the truth of the resurrection, it's true. We believe that it's true. We walk in that truth. We now live in the resurrection power. This is what Paul is going to say to us in Philippians 3, 9 through 11. In Philippians 3, 9 through 11, it says this, And being found in him, not having a righteousness of my own, which is so important, right? If you're trying to operate in your own righteousness in Christianity, you are missing the point. So if you're not a believer and you think, I'm not righteous enough, well, welcome to the club. Neither am I. This righteousness doesn't come from us. It comes from the Father. It comes through Jesus Christ. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes from faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him, know Jesus, and the power of his resurrection. That's what Paul says his goal is, that I may know Jesus Christ more and more and the power of his resurrection, that power to live that resurrected life, that set free life in Jesus Christ. This is why Easter matters. For the resurrection is the power of Christ to not only redeem the people of God into something new, but, but to redeem us in a way that we might live in the righteousness of a whole and holiness of Christ that is in us through the Holy Spirit. Because, listen, in the end, it's not really our holiness that we're pursuing. We're pursuing to know Jesus Christ more so his holiness might change and transform us and we might walk in his holiness. I think most of us can attest that when we tried really hard to be holy, it either went terribly wrong or we became really self-righteous, judgmental, and we were angry or frustrated with other Christians most of the time. That's what the Pharisees did, right? But when we realize this righteousness, this holiness is not of my own, it's Jesus Christ in me transforming me, it makes you humble and gracious and kind and patient and gentle. Wait, wait, what does that sound like? 
Oh yeah, the fruit of the Spirit, which means the, the fruit of Jesus Christ, of who Jesus Christ is. So that's the gospel. So Paul is joyful and thankful over their partnership in the gospel. So what's this word partnerships? Well, we were debating how to say this word this morning. Um, I can look up Greek words, but actually speaking Greek words is a whole different thing, right? So the Greek word for this partnership, for the word partnership is the word koinia or kuinia. K-O-I-N-O-N-I-A. Say it however you want. Greek is a weird language, right? It's to try to pronounce it. But in the end, kuinia, what it means, what it really means is to share in, to participate in, to contribute together or have fellowship together, right? To share, to participate, to contribute, to fellowship. That's what kuinia means. So like the word the gospel, the word gospel is used more than any other book in the New Testament, even though this book is only four chapters. Partnership sets off a major purpose of this letter. And a major purpose of the letter from Paul is to encourage the church to experience true koinia, a partnership in the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul uses this word multiple times in this letter, this, this word koinia, partnership. It's the same word when he, he uses it in Philippians 2 when he says that we, we, ha, we have partnered together in the Holy Spirit, right? Koinia, same word. In Philippians 3, he talks about how we share in, kuinia, share in. We share in the sufferings of Christ, which transform us to be more like Christ. In just a couple of verses, he's going to say that we all partake in the grace of Christ together. So this partnership in the gospel is, is all about how they've shared in, they've participated in, they've had fellowship in the work of the gospel from the first day, meaning the first day when they started to plant this church until this very day where Paul is in jail He's so encouraged that this, the partnership from the first day until right now. So the question comes, how exactly have they partnered together? How have they partnered together for the sake of the gospel? Well, the book of Philippians and the story that we started the series with back in Acts 16, which talks about the beginning of the church in Philippians, tells us how they partner. So I've got four main ways that they've partnered together for the sake of the gospel. Here's the first. Through faith. I could just leave it there, right? right? Through faith. Through faith, they have experienced the free gift of grace that comes in Jesus Christ that's led to all of their salvation, which has made them family in the household of God, right? Just that enough has made them family. They're partners together. They are partakers of God's grace, and they share in the blessing of his surpassing peace and his steadfast love. That's the most important part of their, their partnership, right? I've said this about life group at all. You can go into life group or church family, but life group brings it down where you get to know people better. You can go into life group and have nothing in common with anybody in the group, but you know what you have in common? Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ is enough. I pick on Javi all the time. Javi, can I pick on you for a second? Javi and I, like, can, can you think of any ways we're really, really alike? There might be a couple, Wait, we grew up differently. We come different backgrounds. Like we have di completely different kinds of jobs. Wait, like Javi and I could not be more different, but like I love Javi. I would do anything for Javi and he would do anything for me. Like we, I feel like Javi is family. You know why? Because Jesus Christ is enough. And so this is how they've partnered together in the Philippian church. This is the main way they have become family because they are a resurrected people in Jesus Christ. And that's enough. So that's the first way they've partnered together. That's what the church is supposed to be. Second, second way they partner together is in the defending and the advancement of the gospel. In the defending and the advancement of the gospel. 
By this time, when Paul's writing this letter, the gospel has spread all through Eastern Europe and Asia Minor, and the church in Philippi has been a part of that. They have been faithful ministers when Paul was with them, faithful ministers to share the gospel with other people and see people saved right alongside, right alongside Paul. And so now Paul is in jail. And as we're going to see through the rest of Philippians, if you haven't read ahead yet, Paul's in jail. And as Paul's in jail, do you know what's happening around Paul? People are getting saved. Guards are getting saved. Members of the household of the emperor that are around him are getting saved. Wherever Paul goes, the gospel advances, right? So now Paul might be in jail, but the gospel is advancing. But they're still back in Philippi, still sharing the gospel, still seeing people saved. So they are partnering in the sharing and the defending of the gospel. One of the main things that God has called us to, they partnered in this great call. We call it the Great Commission, right? To go make disciples of all nations. That has been one of the anchors of their partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Third, third way they partner in the gospel is through gospel-centered community, as we've talked about. And so much of this letter is reminding the church to live in the realities of the gospel in their church family, to be a family rich with grace and mercy and humility and service and the peace of the gospel, which is exactly what Jesus Christ did for us. Empowered by the Holy Spirit, but always pointing to the, who is the head of the church, Jesus Christ. I want you to think about this for a second. We say the, the heart of this book is really found in Philippians 2, 5 through 11, where it says Jesus came down out of heaven, taking on the form of a servant, the form of a slave, and giving himself for all so that all might be redeemed. And now he has the name that is above every name in heaven and earth and below the earth, right? To, that, that's like the heart of this passage. But do you, do you know what comes right before that? Like how they are supposed to be living in the gospel as a community and the humility and service of others as Christ. He says, live as this kind of community. Why should you look at, live as this kind of community? Because of Jesus Christ, because of the gospel. Even the gospel being laid out in this book is pointing them back to how they live as a church and how the gospel informs how they live as a church every single day. And that goes back to the thing that we've talked about before. We're all sinful people. We all mess this up sometimes. So if we come into church thinking we're going to encounter perfect people that aren't going to mess up, well, congratulations, you're never going to find that church. He put us all together to sanctify us, to learn to be humble and to serve and grace and mercy and forgive so that we might all be built up in love. And the only way we can consistently do that is being reminded of what Jesus Christ did for us. And not give people what they deserve, not give people what they earn, but give them grace. Give them grace. So they fellowship together, they share together in the truths and the fruit of the gospel, so they might truly live as the bride of Christ. That's the third way they've partnered together. And the fourth, the fourth way they've partnered with Paul is by consistently and faithfully praying for and financially supporting Paul in his mission to take the gospel throughout the world. If you remember, if you've been with us, the entire occasion for Paul writing this letter is that he's in jail and they hear about Paul's suffering. So they send Epaphroditus up from their church in Philippi up to Rome, which is a long way to bring him gifts and to bring him financial support, to let him know that we love you, that we're for you, but also financially support him so when he gets out of jail, he can continue the work. That's the, that's the main occasion for Paul writing the letter. I wouldn't say it's the main reason. The main reason is the gospel, but that gave him the reason to want to write the letter and share the gospel with him. So they've continued to partner with Paul throughout his whole ministry. It says in the book that they've partnered with Paul more consistently than any other church. 
constantly giving, and this is not a rich church, right? Constantly giving to Paul so that he can continue to advance the gospel throughout the world. Church, Paul's thankfulness and joy and prayer is because of their partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And it's passages like this that confirm to us that the gospel is not just for sharing the truth with non-believers. It is for that, right? We, like, like they just talked about, advancing the gospel, that means going and telling people about Christ. But the gospel is for us right now, every single day, all the time. Because how easy is it for our minds to spend off in the flesh and, and not walk in the spirit, but it's by remembering what Jesus Christ did that we actually can, can do what Jesus Christ is calling us to. We always have to have the cross and his resurrection at the front of our minds and our hearts so that we can love people as Christ loved them. That's where the transforming power of the resurrection really comes into play as people are conformed to the image of Christ. The joy at Easter that we're really celebrating is that our God is so good He is so amazing that he designed this whole thing that he would get the most glory by saving people who don't deserve it. Isn't that amazing? Like that's the way that God gets the most glory, by saving sinners, by saving people who don't deserve it. As Romans 5 said, we'll say, by saving even his enemies, right? Even his enemies, by saving those who don't even deserve to be saved and raising them up and transforming them. That's how God gets the most glory, by resurrecting people from, the, from death to life and turning them into his redeemed saints and family that are conformed to the image of Christ. That's amazing. Have you ever thought about how amazing that that's how God designed this whole thing for him to get the most glory? is by saving people who don't deserve it. And so today, what what we want to do on Easter is we want to rejoice that we're no longer enslaved to sin. We want to rejoice that the fear of death no longer controls us and that God is calling us to have a deep relationship with him, a relationship we couldn't have without Jesus Christ, but we can through him, a a relationship that will not only conform us into the image of Christ, but will result in us being filled with the joy and the peace of Christ. But we also rejoice and the fact that Christ gave us each other, his beautiful bride, the church. Right, if you're in here today on Easter and you haven't been to church in, in a while and you've been hurt by church people in the past and so coming to church is a painful thing or you're still recovering from that, listen, I get that. The church is full of sinful people who don't always walk in the truth of the gospel, right? I want you to hear one, I'm, I'm sorry for that. I wish that wouldn't have happened. But two, I think you can see today that that's not a Jesus problem, that's a person problem, but, but this is Christ's bride, We can't give up on his bride. He designed this to be the thing, a community that that doesn't work when it's under our own power. And you probably were encountered some people that were trying to operate under their own power, under the flesh, right? But if we see the community of God through the light of the gospel, if it, it truly is empowered by the Holy Spirit, it becomes a place of abounding grace. Because a place of great comfort, a place where we're all built up in love. That's what the church is supposed to be. That's what we are striving for. The resurrection of Christ not only gave us a new resurrected life, but listen, it gave us a resurrected community. A resurrected community filled with resurrected people. A community that not only has the power to grow together in the gospel, but a community that can be and should be and hope and God, I pray, will be a beacon of light as we advance the gospel into dark places. And we bring the hope of the gospel into darkened hearts. That's who we're meant to be. By the hope of the gospel, by the power of our resurrected Christ, we have been given all we need to have transformed lives, all we need to have a transformed community, and all we need to see lives transformed 
lost lives transformed become saints in the family of God and praise God for that. That's the power of the resurrection. So let's be a church that lives in the light of the resurrection, in the light of the gospel every day. Or another way we might say it at this church, let's live our lives in this mission that God gave us to glorify God and advance the gospel. Happy Easter, church. I love you. Let's pray. Oh God, what a joy it is to be able to worship you, to rejoice in who you are, to follow you, to be called your child, that we get to call you Father. God, all those things that we don't deserve, yet you looked at all of us and said, no, I want that one in my family, and so you saved us and redeemed us. God, we praise you for that. We know it's something that we could have never earned and, and don't deserve, yet, yet that's not what you designed this thing to be. You rescue people who don't deserve to be rescued, and we thank you for that. And so, God, I pray that we could remember that today, that Easter wouldn't be just one day that we come into church and, and we, we hear about the resurrection once again, but it would be something that we took with us. And we would remember what the, what the power of the resurrection is. It's the power to transform us one time and then transform us through the rest of our lives. As Paul says, that I might know the power of his resurrection, might walk in those truths, might be transformed for ourselves. But God, I pray that it wouldn't just be about us, that that transformation that you've done in us as we grow, as we're conformed to the image of Christ, that it would pour out of us into our church community. God, that we wouldn't see people as a list of failures or faults or not good enough so that we would see people as you see them, as beloved, as worthy of being saved, as people who, do, who need grace and mercy and forgiveness and kindness and gentleness that we can help build up in love as they build us up in love. God, help us to be a people that operate in thankfulness and joy with the example that Paul left for us. And God, I just pray it would transform our hearts and minds over time. That we, would, that we would pursue, that we would, God, that we would pursue you and pursue our church family in a, in a way, more, first and foremost, in thankfulness and joy so that you might transform our hearts and our minds to be like yours. God, this world and our busyness and our flesh and our former sin is just trying to pull us down into a black hole. But Jesus, we praise you for being the light that pulls us out of the blackness, that pulls us out of the, the hole into your goodness, into your mercy and your grace. God, so often we fall back into that hole, into that blackness. So Jesus, we just pray for your help today to believe these truths, to walk in these truths, and to live in the hope and the power of your resurrection. Jesus, on all days on Easter, we want to thank you and we want to pray in your name. Amen. Church, if you need prayer, we would love to pray with you. I'll be over there in the corner. Um, a couple people will join me. We'll pray with you just about, man, about anything you want to pray about. We'd love to pray with you. Otherwise, why don't you stand and let's worship God in song.